Amen. We are so grateful that you are here today. And we're going to look into the word of the Lord this morning from the book of 1 Samuel. And we're going to read from the 17th chapter of the book of 1 Samuel. And I want to begin reading at the 20th verse. We're going to read what is a very well-known passage of Scripture. 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse number 20. The word of the Lord says this, David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him and he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, spake according to the same words, and David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were sore afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have ye seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride. And I know the naughtiness of thine heart. For thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? Hallelujah. And I want by the help of the Holy Ghost to preach to you a message entitled, Yes, There is a Cause. Yes, there is a cause. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's lift our hands and our voices one more time in this house in the name of Jesus. And give God praise for He is worthy. Lord, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your blessing upon this time that we have in your presence. Lord, let your word go forth as you have intended it to do so. And allow us, I pray in Jesus' name, to hear your word, to hear your heart, to receive direction of your spirit. Lord, we give you praise and we honor your name today. In the precious and the matchless name of Jesus, we ask these things. And everybody said, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. amen. And amen. God bless you in the name of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you for standing for the reading of the word of God. <laughs> this is one of those foundational accounts in the scripture and and we of course are perhaps aware of the two central uh, figures in this scriptural account 
One's name is David. One's name is Goliath. Uh, Brother Norman West sent me a, 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 a meme this week that said, if God allowed a Goliath in front of me, it's because he knows there's a David inside of me. I thought, amen. He didn't know what I was preaching, but the Lord did. And uh, I love when the Lord gives us a little confirmation here and there. And uh, it is the truth. David and Goliath, just the, just the term. David and Goliath, you immediately understand that you're talking about a giant and you're talking about an underdog. You're talking about one who is skilled and has all the advantages of a natural nature. And, and yet uh, there is one in the story, the mix, who is at a tremendous disadvantage physically. And, and we use this term to describe an uneven match. It's a, it's a case of David and Goliath. And one wonders who the, who the victor will be in this outcome. But it's, it's a much more complex account than just merely David walking out onto a battlefield, winding up his sling with one of the stones from his pouch that he gathered from the brook and slinging it into the forehead of Goliath and bringing him down and and then coming upon him and removing his head, taking it to King Saul and, and Israel being free from the threat that was Goliath. It's much more complex than just that series of events. First of all, it's easy to say all that. It's a quite another thing to have done all of those things. And, and we, we, can lose, we can lose the reality of these biblical accounts in just kind of skimming the surface of of what occurred and, and what led up to it. There is a there is a effort on the part of some storytellers to try to imagine what life would be like if certain historic occurrences had not transpired. People have tried to tell stories of what the world would be like if World War II had gone differently. If Nazi Germany had prevailed in their effort to rule Europe and the impact that would have had on the rest of the world. And they tried to imagine and then convey the apocalyptic nature of such an outcome. Uh, one of the very famous stories has to do with a man character by the name of George Bailey in the story It's a Wonderful Life, where George Bailey wonders aloud if he were better off dead than alive and if the world would be a better place without him having ever been born. In this place of, of pure and total uh, feelings of failure and feelings of self-loathing, uh, he, he postured this possibility only to be allowed to see what life would be like had he never been born. If certain things don't happen, it changes the course of history. I don't know that I'd want to see a world or Israel without David having slain Goliath. What would have happened if Goliath would have achieved his goal of conquering Israel on that day? It really did look like things could have gone differently. 
Israel had never faced somebody like Goliath. They had never seen anyone like Goliath. He came out onto that battlefield with intimidation, with a fierceness and austerity that they had never seen from anybody and with a, a, an enormous physical uh, size that, that they were not accustomed to. And it was the talk of the armies of Israel. Have you seen this man that has come up to defy the armies of Israel? We have never seen anybody with his brute strength and with his abilities. And he has challenged us to send forth a champion. And it was, it was what everybody was talking about. Of course, famously, David is just happening on to the scene with, with food for his brothers who were a part of the battle. And he is arriving at the exact moment that Goliath is issuing this challenge. And, and David is kind of setting his bicycle up against the tree. <laughs> Got his little lunch boxes in hand and he's just walking along whistling, whistling Psalm 23. <laughs> on his way to the battle and, and he hears this commotion and, and he hears the words. The Bible said he heard the words of Goliath who issued this challenge to the children of Israel and and the challenge was you send your best you send your strongest you send your most elite of soldiers the the most highly trained the one that the one that you consider the ninja of your group you send them out and and I will feed their carcass to the fowls of the air and I will lay them down in this valley and the beasts of the field will consume their corpse. It was a horrific idea. It was a, it was a terrible day. It was a dark moment in Israel's history. And nobody was willing to step out onto that battlefield. The strongest were cowering. The most talented, the ones with the greatest ability, the ones with the most intense training, they were all finding places to hide away from what had become this horrible challenge and defiance of the nation and the armies of Israel. But David hears what is being said, and he actually makes his way to where his brothers are, and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Who dares to defy the armies of Israel? And, and when he asks this question, Eliab it begins to, to, who is his oldest brother, he begins to question David and his motive. And, and David also asked, what is the reward? They told him the reward. It'll be the person who kills this Philistine will be enriched. His father's house will be made free in Israel. And, and also he will receive the king's daughter as a wife. And David hears all of that. And, and he said, then, then what's the problem? Why isn't somebody going out and challenging this Philistine? And his oldest brother, Eliab, not the second oldest, the third or the fourth oldest, Eliab perhaps took more... Uh, took more of a of an affront a, a, a to what David was saying. It was kind of like, "What are you saying? I'm not. You saying I'm scared? You saying I'm not courageous? Are you you trying to say I won't go? I'll go out there. I'm just waiting for the right time. I'll go out. I'm not afraid of this 
I'm not afraid of that. I'm just waiting for him to kind of turn his head just a little bit. Okay, you, you let me do my thing. I know how to handle guys like this. And he just, he, he looked at him and he said, look, I know your pride. And I know the naughtiness of your heart. And I know why you have come out here today. It was a total smack in the face. David was feeling his blood rush through his veins. He was, he was feeling strength kind of rise up within him. He was, he was feeling a, a particular defense of God's people. And there was something about this, this scenario that wasn't sitting right with David. And he, he could feel, he could feel. I'll tell you what he felt. He felt the anointing of God. And, and it, was, it was rising up within him, and he just started to ask pertinent questions. And why? Why is, why is he saying these things? And why isn't anybody doing anything about it? And, and, and they, they shot him down. And, uh, and David asked the question, the rhetorical question that I, I, I want to take notice of today. He simply asked, is there, not, is there not a cause? Is there not a cause? It was the cause that was present in David's thinking. It was the cause that grounded him. It was the cause. It was the purpose. Is there no reason to go fight this giant? This he never. You know what? I just want to point out. He never did call him a giant. Now we call him a giant, and and but David never called him a giant. David called him this uncircumcised Philistine. In other words, David acknowledged his spiritual inferiority. He never exalted his natural superiority he always addressed his spiritual inferiority and that's what you and I have to understand about the battles that we face as individuals and that the church faces in this day and age. We do not acknowledge the natural superiority of our enemies. We acknowledge the spiritual inferiority of our enemies. So we don't sit around and exalt the, the power of a giant like cancer that is notorious for having taken down so many and wasted them and laid them aside and fed their carcass to the fowls of the air. No, we acknowledge the spiritual inferiority of cancer because it is a principality that has been subdued under the feet of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we do not sit around and exalt the spirit of antichrist that is pervasive in our world. When the apostle John referenced the spirit of antichrist, he said, you are of God, little children, and have overcome the spirit of antichrist because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. <laughs> no, no. I don't care if he's nine feet tall, 10 feet tall, 20 feet tall. I don't care if he's got six fingers on each hand or six fingers or six toes on each foot. I don't care how big his weaponry is or how much training he's had and how long he's had it and how many heads he has on his wall. He's an uncircumcised Philistine and I come against him in the name of the Lord of the hosts of Israel. We do too much praising of the enemy. We do too much exalting of the adversary. We do too much worrying, fretting, doubting, fearing, and exalting of our enemy. 
We've got to get back into the business of understanding there's a purpose that I'm here to serve. There is a cause. I'm here on purpose. I'm not here on accident. I'm here on purpose. And everybody else might be hiding out and everybody else might be finding some place to cower down. But there's a cause. Yes, there's a cause. Giants roam our world today. Giants, principalities, powers, they roam our world. And they intimidate and they bully. And they hold captive and they enslave. And they cause many to fear and run in shame and, and worry. But there is a cause for the church. We have a cause. We have a purpose. We are here to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me remind you that the spirit of the Lord is upon us. Because he hath a anointed us to preach the gospel to the poor and he hath anointed us to preach deliverance to the captive and he hath anointed us to set at liberty them that are bruised and he hath anointed us to lift up those that have fallen he hath anointed us to strengthen the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees we've got a purpose this morning don't you ever forget why we're here. We're not just here to have good services. We're not just here to say, I'm a Christian. Now let me go my way. No, no. We are here to seek and to save that which was lost. We're here to go out into the highways and into the byways and compel them to come unto Jesus. Thank God. That David never strayed from understanding the cause. Because if he had, he would have given in to so many distractions and offenses along the way that would prevent him from fighting the ultimate enemy, which was that uncircumcised Philistine. David, I know Eliab has wounded you with his words, but don't fall for it. He's not the enemy. The enemy is out on that battlefield. And the enemy is shouting at the top of his lungs to send forth a champion. I know that you can, listen, you can walk among the people of God trying to do a work for the Lord. And then somebody like Eliab lashes out at you. You've got to understand, Eliab had his own reasons and problems and challenges. He was the oldest brother. He felt defensive. He felt protective. And now his youngest brother is stepping into the picture and asking, hey, why aren't you doing something about this? There was some insecurity Eliab was speaking out of. You need to stop. Stop getting offended about everything somebody says toward you and realize that, that, they, they, that they are reacting to you from a personal vantage point. And if you get distracted by it and say, I can't believe he said that to me. I can't believe that he would treat me that way. I just wanted to do a little work for the Lord. I'm getting my cheese sandwiches and my bicycle and I'm going on home. You're missing the point. You've forgotten the cause. Eliab's not the problem Goliath is the issue David's greatest battle was not Goliath and David's greatest battle was not the lion David's greatest battle was not even the bear David's greatest battle was struggling with offense offense tried to take David out long before David would ever encounter 
Goliath, a lion, a bear, or anything. The Bible tells this amazing account of Samuel walking into Jesse's house and saying, the Lord has sent me to anoint a son of yours. He's here. And Samuel, Samuel came on a mission from God. Jesse said, well, I got some great sons. He said, come in here, boys. And seven sons, that's a nice number. I got seven of them. And he lined all seven sons from the oldest to the youngest. And one by one, he read their resumes and gave their bio and described their training and explained all they had done to prepare for this moment and that they would make a great king and they could do a wonderful job and they'd be just the kind of guy that the Lord might anoint as king over Israel. And Samuel was impressed. Samuel was like, yeah, he'd be great. And God said, that's not him. Okay, that's not him next. And, and in one after another, the Lord said, no, 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 until all seven were moved out of the way. And Samuel said, I don't know what to tell you, Jesse. God told me to come here. I'm here to anoint one of your sons. And none of your sons are the ones God wants to anoint. And Jesse said, well, that's surprising because I do have another son, but I'm sure you wouldn't want him. Nobody wants him. Nobody cares about him. He doesn't have anything that would, that would at all appeal to anybody. And I can't imagine you would be interested in the eighth son. But Samuel said, that's the one I want. Bring him in here. And when ruddy David, immature David, undeveloped David, untrained David, Walked into the middle of the room. The Lord said, Samuel, I don't look upon the outward appearance. I look upon the heart. And I'm looking for a man after my own heart. How easy it would have been for David to live in an offended state of mind. His dad told him every day through his action of leaving him discarded and unwanted and out of sight, told him he wasn't worth anything. He had nothing to offer. There was no good he could bring to the kingdom of Israel. He told him that every day. I don't know if he did it directly, but he did it indirectly. And when Samuel came to anoint a king, Jesse didn't even consider David as a possibility. I've been offended for a lot less than that. I've got my feelings hurt over a lot less than that. Why would they put, why would they, why would they walk everybody out before me? Why would they not even consider me? Why did my name not even show up on the radar? Am I worth nothing to this person? This is my father, Jesse, and he won't even allow me to come up from the sheepfold. What? Offense, offense, offended, offended, lost opportunity, missed opportunity. And if David would have, if he would have just kind of moped in that sorrow and self-pity and self-loathing, he would have missed the opportunity for the anointing. Because I'm going to tell you something. God can't do anything with an offended spirit. You can choose to be two things. One of two things. You can be anointed or you can be offended. It's your choice. If you are anointed, nothing can stop you. And if you're offended, nothing can help you. I made up my mind a long time ago. I refuse to be offended. I will not live in a mindset of being offended. 
It's going to come. Jesus said offense will come. It's going to come. It's not a question of, oh, I hope I don't get offended. Forget that. You're going to be offended. And it's going to be your brothers and sisters who do it. So stop being surprised by it. They're not the issue. There's a giant in our world, and he's calling for our champions. David, your dad's calling you. There's a prophet at the house looking for a king. Oh, I don't, I'm not going. They didn't want me then. They don't want me now. I'm not going. They can, they can have that crown. They can have that anointing. I'll just do this. I'll do this out here. I'll do my own thing. I don't need them. I don't need what they've got. Get over yourself, David. David didn't even have that mentality. You want to know why? Because when he was overlooked, he was praising God. And while he was being discarded, he was worshiping God. And while nobody wanted him, he was worshiping the Lord. And while nobody thought he was good enough to even bring out as an option, he was praising the Lord with all of his heart. And the world didn't notice him, but God saw him. The world didn't think he had anything to offer, but God saw his heart. Hallelujah. I, I said God saw his heart. And now notice what Eliab said to him when he walked out onto the battlefield. When he gets there, Elias said, we know your pride and we know the naughtiness of your heart. God had already said his heart was pure. But his oldest brother said, no, no, it's got naughtiness in it. There's, there's wickedness in your heart. No, no, God's, God said, I got, a, I got a good heart. God who knows the heart. <sighs> David, it's a distraction. It's a distraction. There's a cause, David. There's a purpose, David. There are giants who roam the valley of Elah, and they're trying to bring down the armies of the Lord. And there are giants that roam our world today. Oh, saint of God. God, child of God, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke any spirit of offense off of you. And I'm going to tell you, somebody who's been anointed, somebody who's been filled with the Holy Ghost, somebody who's been endued with power from on high, when they're not serving the Lord, it's always because they got offended. It doesn't matter what the what the the real tipping point was. It all starts with offense. Always. That's why you can't let it happen, because offense is a means to eternal damnation. The devil doesn't set you up for offense so he can hurt your feelings. He sets you up for offense so he can cause you to be lost. And so you come to this battlefield and you're ready to do a work for the Lord. And you got dancing in your feet. And you realize, man, I'm here on an assignment. I didn't choose to come here. My dad told me to come here. You got to, this is God. Look at God. I walk up and there's this uncircumcised Philistine. I can't wait to go share with everybody how God is getting ready to use me. And Eliab said, no, your heart is wrong. He went to the heart of the issue. He questioned his motive. He questioned his character, his integrity. You cannot listen to what people say about your heart. You have to rest in what the Lord has said. See, you, you get to understand, when people speak out 
against us or, or, or even in favor of us. I decided a long time ago, I cannot believe critics nor flatterers. Because, and it's not, listen, listen, critics, when, when somebody criticizes you, you it's, I, I don't believe in this thing about uh, just get rid of all your critics and don't listen to anybody who criticizes you. Because there can be something constructive in there. Even if they've got a wrong spirit, there might be some truth you could glean from. Just don't be offended by it. So some, somebody comes up and says something critical of you, don't, don't cut them off like there's some kind of poison in your... No, 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 no. Listen to what they're saying. Don't be offended by it. And if there's something you can glean from it, glean from it. Somebody tries to tear you down, hear what I'm explaining to you. The critics who try to tear you down and shed, shed some kind of, a, of an abuse upon your character, your integrity, or your heart, they don't know your heart. So you can't believe what they say about your heart. When somebody starts to tear you down, they don't know you, so they're not an authority on, on who you are. Nor can you believe the flatterer who comes up and says to you that you are the best and the greatest and the most wonderful because they don't know you. They don't know you. I mean, I'd love to believe that. Somebody come up and say, you're the most wonderful, you're the greatest. I would be like, thank you so much. I really believe that, but, but I have to understand, they don't know me. They don't know everything about me. And the critic who comes up and says, you're nothing but a low down, good for nothing, dirty, rotten, whatever. I can't believe that either because you don't know me. But the one who does know me and knows everything about me. When he tells me I'm worth loving, I'm worth saving, I'm worth anointing, I'm worth using, I'm worth empowering, I believe that because he knows me. Folks, he knows everything about me. It's stuff about me I don't know about myself. He knows everything about me. And he still speaks words of affirmation and comfort and truth. I thank the Lord. I'm going to listen to him. Eliab, I love you, man, but I can't, I, can't, I can't listen to that right now. I've got a battle to fight. I've got giants to bring down. And let me tell you something. Our world has giants. Giants of hatred are roaming our earth. Giants of severe, distorted perversion are roaming our earth. Giants of war are roaming our earth. Giants of, of, of disease and sickness and virus are roaming our earth. Earth. Giants, ladies and gentlemen, giants that are big, that are large, that are threatening, giants of heresy and false doctrine and deception. They are roaming our earth, and we do not have time to be getting offended about what brother Eliab said about us. We have a giant to bring down. We've got a battle that needs to be won. So is this it, David? Eliab said, you've got a naughty heart. Forget what God said. Eliab said, God got a naughty heart. He shouldn't have said that. You just going to go home now? Or are you going to walk into that anointing? Eliab may never change his opinion of you. You may never convince Eliab that you're a good guy, that you don't have pride, that you're not, you're not naughty. You're not bad. You may never convince him. Do what the Lord called you to do. Why? Because there's a cause. What is the cause? Israel needs a champion. 
Israel needs a champion right now. I don't know what's going on in your generation, David, but, but people are cowering. People are running for the hills. People are backsliding. People are turning into reprobates. People are walking away, David. Somebody has to stand up in your generation and get past hurt feelings and get past offense. No, I can't dwell on the fact that Jesse didn't think I had anything to offer. I can't dwell on the fact that Eliab is sitting out in that audience questioning every motive of mine because I'm trying to do a work for the Lord. I can't worry about that. There's a giant on the run. There's a giant on the loose and he's threatening to destroy the armies of God. Hallelujah. So, so, so David, you're the champion. Goliath called for the champions. He said, I want the champion. I don't want your second best. I want your best. I want the most trained. I'm going to feed their carcass to the fowls of the air. I want you to know that the giants of our day are looking for the best and the brightest to destroy. They want the anointed ones. They want the folks who have the favor of God upon their life. I'm just going to tell you that my heart grieves every time somebody turns their back on the things of God. Every time somebody walks away from serving the Lord. Why? Because I know what happened. The giant called for the champion and he came looking for them. And they, and they lost the battle and they lost the fight and they turned around and they went back on what they know to be true. And they, and they gave in to the spirit of the day. And they gave in to the principalities of our world. David, you can't do that. There's a cause. There's a cause. Israel needs you. The people of God needs you and I want you to know ladies and gentlemen that the church needs champions where are the prayer warriors where are the soul winners I said, where are the prayer warriors? Where are the soul winners? Where are the sacrificers? Where are the people that are willing to pour their heart out to God in prayer? Where are the people that are willing to pour themselves out in sacrifice? Where are the people who are willing to trample on offense and hurt feelings? I'm going to tell you, if I had stopped because of hurt feelings, I, 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 I wouldn't have made it through my childhood or teenage years. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have got anywhere in ministry, nowhere in the kingdom of God. You're going to get hurt. You're going to be offended. You've got to go through it. You've got to keep your eye on the prize. You've got to keep your understanding of there is a cause. And it doesn't have to do with whether I feel good about myself or not. It has to do with bringing down principalities and powers. Hallelujah. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness and spiritual wickedness in high places. Hallelujah. We've got to have our, 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 our body just completely covered with the whole armor of God the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, our loins girt about with truth, our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith. Hallelujah. Wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Take unto you the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. We're in a battle, ladies and gentlemen. We're in a battle. Oh, God. Oh, God. 
Oh God, just this just this year already, 2020, that last week, I had the great privilege of being in Jamaica, preaching at their general conference. 74 years of general conferences in Jamaica. It was a beautiful sight to walk in and see 7,000 people worshiping God together at the National Convention of the United Pentecostal Church of Jamaica. 74 years. 74 years. The, amen. The week before that, I was in Bogalusa, Louisiana, preaching at the 82nd annual Bogalusa Bible Conference. It is the oldest Bible conference in America, and, and it, it's an amazing conference. They used to have it because they would have, they would have a theological debate, and they would bring the, they would bring the, the preachers together to, to settle the issue, and they would meet for two weeks, and they would debate, and they would challenge one another, and they'd preach, and they'd pray, and they'd teach, and they'd, they would iron would sharpen iron. It happened 82 years ago, and I had the privilege of going and preaching 82 years later, the Bogalusa Bible conference. Just a few weeks before that, I was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, preaching at a midwinter camp meeting. It used to be the Oak Creek Prayer Conference, and, and, and I remember as a child seeing the Oak Creek Prayer Conference 30 years and more ago, where they would come together and pray and preach and call upon God and see miracles, signs, and wonders. And here we are 30-plus years later, and I walked into that building, and there were hundreds of people worshiping God, and there was power, and there was glory, and there was fire, and it caused me to stop and wonder. What would happen should the Lord tarry in 82 years to the Tree of Life Church? What would happen should the Lord tarry in 74 years to the Tree of Life Church? What would happen should the Lord tarry in just 30 years to the Tree of Life Church? Hey, I won't always be on this earth in 82 years. I'm probably going to be on to glory if the Lord should tarry. Who's going to step up? What champion is going to say, I refuse? to be offended. I refuse to backslide. I refuse to walk away. I'm in this for the long haul. I'm here to see a church thrive in this nation. It can't just be my vision. It can't just be the vision of the leadership. It can't just be the vision of one or two. It has to be a collective understanding. We're anointed of God. We're here for the healing of the nations. We're here to see those who are broken healed. Those who are shattered restored. Those who are lost saved. Is there, is there, is there not a cause? Yes. There is a cause. Yes, there is a cause. There's a reason why we pray. There's a reason why we worship. There's a reason why we give to Ready Now so generously, so continually. It's been, it's, it's, it's been a year and, and about eight months Ready Now has been going on. We're well over $2 million and we're forging ahead. And I thank each and every one of you for that. Let's don't stop. Let's don't give up. Let's continue pushing until the end. Hallelujah. We're getting there where we're going to be able to break ground. And we're going to be able to build a building where we can have a time. Hallelujah. And a place 
place where people can come and receive the glory of his salvation and receive healing for their soul and their mind. And it's not just for the here and the now. Let's not forget eternity, ladies and gentlemen. I feel so convicted in my spirit. Can I just share my heart with you? I feel so convicted today as I prayed this week and this weekend. I feel like the Lord wants me to remind somebody that there is such a thing as a devil's hell. And I know we don't talk a lot about it and we need to talk about it more. I don't mean to be a downer, but you better understand Jesus talked about it and he described weeping and he described wailing and he described gnashing of teeth and he did it over and over and over again and his parables weren't just clever witty little stories they ended with somebody going to heaven and somebody going to hell and it's real and it's forever it's everlasting chains it's everlasting torment it's everlasting punishment it is real it's forever there's a cause there's a reason we do what we do We need young people to get a hold of it. We need young adults to get a hold of it. We need elders to get a hold of it. We need men to get a hold of it. We need women to get a hold of it. We need children to get a hold of it. We got to get back to prayer. We got to get back to fasting. We've got to get back to old-fashioned worship. We've got to get back to old-fashioned consecration and devotion and dedication and conviction of heart and mind. Are you convicted anymore? Do you get convicted anymore? Is there ever a time where you go to do something that the world says is fine and your spirit is convicted? I don't want to, I don't want to fast forward 82 years and look in on a dead, dormant shell that used to be the tree of life, church. I don't want to look 74 years long after I've been in the ground and, and, and see that people don't believe in Jesus' name, baptism anymore. People don't believe in receiving the Holy Ghost anymore. People don't believe in just one God. People don't believe in holy, living, separated unto the world and unto the Lord and from the world. I don't want to look in on a place where people don't dance for joy any longer. No, I don't want to see a place that gave into the pressure of society. I know it's not popular to preach how I'm preaching. I understand that. I know that this isn't what you find in so many churches. I wish I could be more polished. I wish I could do that. But there's a burning in my heart. It's in me like a fire. It's shut up in my bones. And I need to cry loud and spare not and tell somebody there's a cause. There's a purpose. There's a reason we are who we are. Hallelujah, you're a champion. You're a champion. Don't be offended, David. Don't be offended, David. The brother down the road from you is probably going to offend you before it's all said and done. You shouldn't. Woe be to those through whom offenses come. Don't be offensive. Don't be hurtful. Watch your tongue. Hold your tongue. Bite your tongue. Speak in tongues.
Don't be offensive, but don't be surprised if you get offended. David, because if you think what Eliab said is hurtful, you haven't seen anything yet. You wait till Saul starts throwing javelins at you. You wait till your own son Absalom drives you from your throne, sends you into exile. You talk about hurt. You talk about offended. You better get a hold of this now, David. You, no, no, no. You, you thought that snide remark, that sarcastic comment, that little, that little whatever it was, rolling of the eye, you think that was something? You wait. Because if you truly want to be used of God, you're going to go down into valleys you've never even heard of or thought of. And you're going to have betrayal like you could never imagine. Imagine you'll be dodging javelins. You'll be you'll be exiled from your own throne. But if you if you if you won't be offended, you'll be all right. When David committed the most egregious sin of his life, the stain on his life that is it's 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 un, it's when you read it in the scriptures, it's shocking that a man after God's own heart would even go down this path. Lusted after Bathsheba, had her husband killed. It was vicious. It was horrible. It was treacherous. He was wrong. Uriah, that good man, killed by, by David. I'm not talking about Ahab. I'm talking about David. David was lost. David was on his way to hell. David was lost and undone in that moment. He had drifted from the cause. He had drifted from purpose. He had drifted from the anointing that God had placed upon his life. And he had Uriah killed and took Bathsheba for himself. And here came an old prophet by the name of Nathan. The difference between David and Ahab is that David respected the prophet of God. And when Nathan walked into David's court... He told David this incredulous story about a man who had many sheep and looked upon a man who had one lamb and he took that man's one lamb for his own sheepfold. And when David heard this, he was incredulous. He said, you tell me who it was that did this and I'll, I'll make it right. And Nathan lifted up that old finger. He said, you did it. Thou art the man. I'm, I'm just really glad that David would never allow an offended spirit to foster its fester inside of him. Because if he had, he would have never received what Nathan said. See, you think it's okay to be offended now. But, but when the word of God comes toward you, you better not be offended. Because when the word of God comes for you, it's a warning. And the next step is judgment. And if you have an offended spirit, you won't just reject your brothers and sisters. You'll reject the word of God. No, no, no. There's a cause. There's a reason not to be offended. There's a reason not to bow down to the temptations of this world. 
There's a reason that that word from Nathan the prophet sent David into a soul-searching repentance. Psalm 51, he covers himself in sackcloth and ashes. Cast me not away from thy presence. Remove not thy Holy Spirit from me. Create in me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. When you don't have an offended spirit, God can speak to you and you can be saved. I'm telling you right now, and this, it frightens me to even say it. There are some people that aren't even hearing what I'm saying because the offended spirit has deafened you to the word of God. But he that hath an ear, let him hear what the spirit saith to the church. Somebody reach out to the Lord right now in the name of Jesus. Somebody reach out to him with a heart of humility in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, I praise you. I worship you. I worship you. I worship you. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. When I was in Jamaica at the National Convention, Bishop uh, Ogarth McCoy preached, the National Superintendent of Jamaica. And in, in his message, he, he, his heart came forth in his message. And he preached and he called to those who were there and said, said, I'm looking for young people who will stand in the gap. I'm looking for people who will take on this message and go forward with it. My mind went back to the 1960s when my grandparents would go to Jamaica. And if you've ever heard the Jamaican congregation sing the songs of Zion, it sounds like heaven's choir has descended upon earth. And they sing those old songs with a heart of thanksgiving unto God. And I thought, Lord, never let this song leave this island. Never let the song of the redeemed leave this island. It's a terrifying thing to think that there could be a generation that would rise that knows not God, nor the works that he would do for the children of Israel. It's a terrifying reality to think that, that, that Ichabod could be written across the doorpost of someone's home, a home that once was filled with prayer, a home that once was filled with the miraculous intervening power of God, and now generations have descended that don't appreciate the things of God, that don't value the things of God, that don't see a reason or a purpose or a cause. There is a cause. I know what it's like to be multiple generations removed from patriarchs. I know what it's like to be multiple generations removed from people who walked so close to God. I can't rely on them and I can't see what they experienced as just an anomaly. It's from me. In my house, we will serve the Lord. His house shall be called a house of prayer. This place is going to be a place dedicated to the preaching of the one true God. This is going to be a soul-saving station. We still believe in heaven and we still believe in hell and we still believe in holiness and we still believe in prayer and fasting and worship and we believe in old-fashioned salvation, repentance, baptism in Jesus' name and the infilling of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. We believe in it. There's a cause. 
there's a cause. I need somebody who embraces the cause of Jesus Christ to stand with me right now and just lift your hands to heaven all across this building. There are a lot of people in your generation that are fearful of the giants that roam the earth. I won't be afraid. There's a cause. I'm here on purpose. I refuse to be afraid. I refuse. I'm here on purpose. Lord, here am I. Send me. Come on, child of God. Come on, child of God. Reach for him right now. Jesus. Jesus. I need somebody who's heard the voice of the giant in your life. I need you to come forward right now. In the name of Jesus. You've heard the voice of the giant in your life. You know what I'm talking about because you've heard him. He's intimidating. He sounds scary. And you know good people who have a walk with God that have run from him. Saul is just as anointed as you are, David. He's got the same spirit of God on him that you have on you. And he's afraid. Don't you be afraid. Come on, somebody. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> Come on, that's it. There are more. There are more. Come on, come on. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Come on, I need some. Listen, there are giants up here. We need somebody to come and fight this battle with us. We need somebody to come and fight this battle with us. We've got young people. I'm telling you, this generation is more broken than anything you've ever seen in your life. They're facing principalities and demons that you didn't even know existed. Hallelujah. Hold on just a second. Hold on just a second. Our youth leadership team just went yesterday to, to Columbus, Ohio, and they sat in leadership training from the youth department of the Ohio district, and they went over how to minister to young people in this generation. And, and they were so blessed, and they were so impacted. And I reached out to the youth team in Columbus, our district youth officials, and I said, thank you for imparting to our youth leadership team because they're ministering to a broken world. These young people today are facing giants and facing battles. I didn't have to face when I was 12, 13, 14, 15. Hey, friend, if you're not going to pray for you, I need you to pray for them. We're in a battle up here. We're in a war. This isn't play. We're not playing games. We're not, we're not just sing-songing here. There's a battle. There's a giant. He's out for blood. He's trying to take captive the people of God. He's trying to bring down the holy nation of Israel. I need somebody to come up here and say, Lord, I'm here for the battle. I'm here for the battle. Yes, there's a cause. Yes, there's a cause. Yes, there's a cause. Come on, help me reach out to God right now. Help me reach out to God right now all across this building.